invite you to turn to Romans chapter 4, page 797 and 798 in the Church Bibles. We're going to read the first eight verses of Romans 4, and if you're wondering why we're there this morning, we've been working through Romans verse by verse, took a few stops here and there. We're going to take another stop next month for March to Missions, but this morning, the reason why we're here is this is where we're at, so... Um, Verse 1 of Romans 4, page 797 in the Church Bibles. The context there is verse 37, where, where then is the boasting, as in where is the boasting in the gospel? Is it all on God or some on us? And then Paul writes, verse 1, What then shall we say that, that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If In fact, Abraham was justified by works. He had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a person works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Amen. Let's pray together. Seek the help that we need. Father, we have sung your praise now. Please edify our minds, stir our hearts, animate our inner person, set in yourself against anything which would set itself against you in order that we will be overwhelmed with great gladness and praise directed completely towards you because of what you teach us in these verses. For Jesus' sake, we ask this. Amen. Every false religion in the world, whether it's some heretical branch which calls itself Christian or just some kind of like highly developed but still pagan religion, all of them are founded on and draw their strength from some form of salvation by the person's works, wherein a person can attain the righteousness that they need in some way by their own effort. So they know that there's something wrong between them and God. That's Romans 1.18. And it says that the reality that there's something wrong between them and God, that is inside every human being. This is quoting verse 18 of chapter 1. What may be known about God is plain to them, yet verse 19, they suppress the truth of that knowledge by their wickedness. Okay? Listen carefully. And part of humanity's wickedness is believing that we are capable of either to do something or a great number of things added up, some of those things which are good, to attain the righteousness needed to be right with God. They're in relating to God by some kind of work or some kind of sacrifice or religious effort or even superstitious effort. And that is at the heart of every other religion. We have as an instinct to, to want to contribute something or prove something 
about us for our salvation when John Owen said a long time ago, the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin which made it necessary. So works is at the heart of every other religion except for Christianity. And Christianity says our good works, religious or otherwise, have no impact at all on us getting right with God. And indeed, they can actually get in the way, giving us some sort of twisted logic where it becomes possible, even just, you know, a speck of boasting. When Romans 3.27, you see it there if your Bible's open, human boasting is impossible in the gospel. Because biblical Christianity says there's nothing I can do to rescue myself. There's nothing I can do which can make God love me any more. Nothing I can do make, can make God love me any less. Indeed, if you want to flip the page to chapter 1, verse 17, if you look at it, you'll be happy. Because this is what it says. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith. From first to last, just it is written, the Old Testament, if you would, the righteous will live by faith, meaning we dare not relate to God by our own works because being justified before God comes about not by our work, but it comes about by faith in Jesus' work. That is justification by faith. That is the heart of the gospel. That is foundational to what it means to be a Christian. As in the gospel, God's righteousness and not our righteousness is revealed. Indeed, in the gospel, our unrighteousness is actually revealed in very uncomfortable levels. And so one of the things that Paul does to help the reader understand this, and indeed drink from this well as a Christian, because every other well is poison, is to explain to his readers how justification by faith is not something brand new but rather it's something very, very old. It's always been God's way to deal with his people's sins. So he's going to take us back to the early days of justification when justification by faith started, and he does this by speaking about two people. You see it there in the text, Abraham and David. Now, most of our time will be with Abraham, who was there like super holy man. I mean, he was the poster boy for the Jews of that day because the Jews thought, because they were taught, that if there was a person who could make themselves right with God by their works, it was Abraham. He was presented as the, as the model of a devout Jew. In the same way, you know, we can, we could sometimes venerate people, good people of our past as being, you know, the models of perfect holiness when they would tell you, no, I wasn't. So some of the Jewish writers said things like, Abraham was the great father of the multitude of nations, and no one has been found like him in glory. He kept the law of the Most High perfectly. That was written by a Jewish scribe. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not sin against God. The prayer of Manasseh. The book of Jubilee. These are all like Jewish authorities. Abraham was perfect in all his deeds, well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. So Abraham was their guy. However, Paul has been preaching that men and women can only be justified before the one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, apart from the law. Justified apart from their obedience to the law because Romans 3.10, you see it there. They have no obedience. No one has obedience which can warrant them salvation. There is no one righteous, no, not one. 
Therefore, Romans 3.22, you see it there. This righteousness needed is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Indeed, Romans 3.28, for we maintain, like this is our line as a Christian, that a person is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Therefore, verse 27, boasting next. So, can we not then understand, okay, that was happening there, but can you even understand in, in a religious 21st century churches how, how offensive that could be to some people? To hear that all their good efforts will come to nothing, that everything they believe about the importance of living a certain kind of life in a certain kind of way, that all their striving and effort cannot save them, and that someone who's never done any of those things, they can be saved. That doesn't go over very easily to a person who is confident in themselves and what they're doing or planning to do, quote, for God. And if you're still with me and you catch the smell of that, then it's easy to think about the people who would hear Paul's gospel in the Jewish synagogues because Paul usually started his gospel preaching and would usually get get kicked out (laughs) of those synagogues because of his gospel preaching. Because they were enraged at justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ. So the religious did not want to murder Jesus and his followers because, you know, they were teaching everybody love one another. Everybody be kind. Everybody do a lot better. That wasn't the problem. The problem was they were teaching that there's only one way to God, and it's through Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ. And for the Jews... Their whole religion, everything about their relationship with God depended on their obedience to the law, which they thought gave them the right to boast about their relationship with the law. They did that in chapter 2. And so Paul goes into the synagogue. Now picture this. And he tells the unconverted religious Jewish person that if you think that your obedience to the law of Moses, if you think your special relationship which you had with no other nation is how you become righteous, Paul's like, that was a denial of what the Old Testament scriptures taught. This is what he's saying. Picture this. He's saying that your understanding of the scriptures is wrong. It's flawed. Now think about that. Year by year learning one thing. And then Paul goes in there and says, you're wrong. That justification by works is unreasonable, and justification by faith in Christ, that's biblical. And you can know God, and you become his child, and you can have your sins forgiven, apart from obedience to the law. Because Paul would say, right now God opposes you, because God opposes the proud. Just make the confession, and enjoy the forgiveness. Some did, some did not. And of course, to tell them that they were wrong in their understanding of the Old Testament, Paul uses the Jewish person's number one guy, Abraham, to reveal justification is by faith alone. And that's the way it's always been. Right to our first point. Number one, Abraham was saved. Why Abraham was saved. So the way Paul begins is pretty simple. He begins with the Bible. Verse one, what did Abraham discover in this matter? If it was works, verse two, he could boast about himself, but not before God. Okay, so how do we know that is true? Well, remember we said that there were all those Jewish writings about Abraham and those were traditions which had the same authority as the scriptures. 
And so it gave them a skewed way of how they looked at Abraham's life, their golden boy. But Paul, with the Bible, shows how they, they had strayed far away from what the Old Testament said about Abraham. And you see it there. So Paul says, verse 3, let's go to our Bibles. Pretty simple. What does the Scripture say? Now, let's not pass over that too quickly. There are things that you need to consider as Paul writes this. First, clearly the Jewish people had to be delusional on some level of Abraham's righteousness if they knew their Bible, either delusional or evil. Abraham did a lot of things wrong. He was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Just ask his wife. Second, Paul is saying what the Bible says is what God says. So, so if you want to hear God's voice, Jewish person, then you go to the Bible. There's no distinction between the Scripture and what it says and what God says through it. Indeed, have a look down at your Bible, verse 3. This is important. It's written in the present tense, not the past tense. He says, what does it say? Not, this is what it said. Because God speaks to his, through his word, and it's alive, and it's pressing down right now on them. Its authority, if you would, is in real time. So the authority of this matter on justification by faith. Third, to turn to the Scripture is to turn to God, implying this, that just as Jesus had his critics, so does with everybody who will follow Jesus Christ. And in every controversy, you can read your Bibles and make sure I'm telling you the truth, every controversy that Jesus had or Paul had, they would always go back to the Scripture as their final authority. I mean, Meaning, to turn to the Scripture was Paul's, like, basic instinct. What does the Bible say? What does it say? He takes every thought captive, and he makes it obedient, not to his mind, but to the mind of Christ. Submitting everything to what does the Scripture say? So the Jewish person would look at Paul and say, the Old Testament is not in line with what you're saying, Paul. Paul would reply, have a look down, verse 3. What does the Scripture say? Paul's confidence is in the Bible. And so no surprise, he quotes from Genesis 15, verse 6, to explain what the Scripture says. And here it is. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, this is written, sorry, but it's in the aorist active indicative. And why I tell you that, it means this is an indicating an instant action by God, instantaneously credited the very righteousness of God. Boom. My righteousness is your righteousness through faith. There's no waiting. There's no holding period. There's no proving. It's yours. It's almost like Paul is saying, guys, don't, don't you understand your father Abraham? Don't you understand the Bible? Indeed, what Paul is saying is what Jesus said in John 8. He's telling them, if you honestly knew about your father Abraham, you would have trusted me. Jesus said this, because Abraham understood the way of salvation. Your father Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. He saw it and was glad, John 8, 56. And what he was saying was, was the gospel was already being preached and applied to Abraham, and he was glad about it. He just soaked it all in. Abraham understood way back then that the only standing with God that his only standing with God was not based on anything he accomplished, but exclusively on faith in God. I mean, who wouldn't be glad? I can tell you the only person that I can think of that wouldn't be glad that righteousness comes by faith is a self-righteous person. That's the only person I could think of. 
And then what follows is Paul does this. He expounds uh, Genesis 15.6. So he's going to preach Genesis 15.6. So look at verse 4. Pretty simple. When a person works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. Okay? When you work for someone, you do not receive your pay as a gift, no matter what they think, but you receive your pay because it's your due. So many hours of work, so many hours of pay. That's your due because it is not a gift. All right? Paul's like, don't you understand your Bible? And then look how he uses his Genesis 15 because there's no mention of Abraham, you know, working, working, working. Working his way into a right standing with God that he might be righteous. There's none of that. Verse 5, have a look down. However, to the person who does not work but trust God who justifies the wicked. Okay, maybe a little hint that Abraham was wicked and that they were by nature wicked and that all of us are by nature wicked. The one who trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. I wrote in my notes, this is how we gave our kids allowance. <laughs> we, we were terrible. We didn't usually do like, If you do your work, then we would give you allowance. We usually just said, here's your allowance. Well, don't worry, they're good kids, they all have jobs, all that kind of stuff, so, you know, but this is beautiful. Trust in the God who justifies the wicked. His faith is credited as righteousness. Now, Abraham was very wicked. Even after Genesis 15, he was plucked out of a very ungodly place. There was at least 300,000 people in Ur of the Chaldean, where that's his homeland, and God only chose one man out of there. Think about that for a moment or two. And yet, even after that, Abraham engaged in what we would say was deeply ungodly behavior. On, one and more, on more than one occasion, he almost lost his wife in a very degrading way towards her. And yet, God pronounced Abraham righteous. Now, if you're listening, that is unmitigated, pure grace. Pure grace. So someone might ask, hey, is faith a work? Okay, does faith equal obedience? It's a good question. Is faith a work? So that if I have faith, then you know, I could boast just a little bit. I have faith. Some other people didn't have faith. Hence the boasting about my salvation. Here's my answer. Faith is not a work. And here's why I know that is true. What does the scripture say? Have a look down at your Bible. First, to say that faith is credited as righteousness means that faith in itself is not righteous. Faith is not an active accomplishment of good deeds according to verses 1 and 2 of Romans 4. Because if faith equals works, then salvation ceases to be a gift. And if it's no longer a gift, then we can boast. And our testimonies would be nothing more than, you know, like an autobiography peppered with a little bit of a self-advertisement. You know, I reached down deep in my heart and I looked in the mirror and I said, you get yourself straight. No. No. Here's my testimony. But as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, you, God, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. All right? Second, 
if faith does equal obedience, then by verse 4's logic, you see it there? If you work, then you get pay. If by verse 4's logic, God would be obligated to save us by our works. And if you know your Bible, that runs counter to the bent of the Bible. It runs counter to the cross, to the truth that we're saved by grace, and of course, all of Romans 3 as well. And if we could boast before God and others about our faith, in that, now think about it, in that, the focus would, would be on who? Ourselves. Because if faith equals obedience or is a work, then the actual object of our faith could be ourselves and in our ability. Which again, what does that do? Think it out. It opens the door for boasting and pride or frankly, despair and self-hatred, always wondering, you know, did I have enough faith to be saved? Did I have enough faith to be saved? I mean, I bet if we did an interview here, how many times have we been saved? You know, you talk to the person, I've been saved so many times. I didn't know if it stuck that time, that time, that time, that time, that time, that time. But if faith equals trust in God's promise to save, then the actual object of our faith is God and in what God has done, which does what? Well, it leads to humility and it leads to confidence because it's all on God and it leads to worship because it's all God and unity among God's people because we've all been fully granted the righteousness of God at the same level. Okay, stay with me. However, to the Jewish person of Paul's day, faith was obedience to the law. Faith was a work. But Paul says, no, the Christian is the person who does not work but trusts because faith equals trust in God's saving provision in Christ at the cross. Remember we said this a couple of weeks ago, the gospel depends on a God who does not depend on you. Okay, so when I say that, faith equals trust in God's saving provision in Christ at the cross, that's not saying that Christians do not uh, need to obey the law any longer. That was at the end of Romans 3. The Bible's really clear on that. Don't be foolish. When we get to Romans 6, Paul's going to say, are you crazy? But it does mean that the Christian no longer is to trust in their obedience as a way to be righteous before God or a way to get to God, his favor, his, his blessing. This is John MacArthur. The belief that we, we can gain God's favor by being good enough is the central lie of all false religions. A long time ago, people used to pray repentance unto dead works. And what they were repenting about is when they would try to do a work which they thought, that was it. That was the thing that got me over the top. And we are so good now, God. That's how they lived. And so they would pray, God, please forgive me to trying to put a work in front of justification by faith. So a Christian is one who stops working to be saved, yes, but we keep on working for the kingdom, of course, but now their work is humble obedience and love, not simply to try to secure something for God or prove something to God or prove something to other people. Abraham believed God, and God pronounced Abraham as righteous. Abraham no longer trusted in himself. Justification by faith, way back in the Bible. So before we get to the next point, when we stop trusting in ourselves as justifiers and start trusting in God as the justifier, the result, and this is what it is, it's the infinite credited righteousness of God. 
terrible example. It's like going into Target with an unlimited debit card. <laughs> and you just tear that place up. <laughs> Why Abraham was saved. Justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Number two, why David was saved. And so Paul draws another outstanding part of Jewish heritage, David. And you can almost hear the Jewish person, okay, boom, David, who was a man after God's own heart. So there, Paul, how about that? So we do kind of got to be good to get to God. But again, verse 3, what does the scripture say? Okay, David, who was a man after God's own heart, was also David the adulterer. He was also David the murderer. He was also David the very less than perfect father. So what law did he keep in order to be acceptable and justified before God? Answer, he actually broke the law. Read your Bible. And as quick as a wink, look what Paul does. He takes us to the Bible. Verse 6, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven. This is Psalm 32. Those whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. And what you see here, again, God has directed personal involvement with the wicked. With the wicked. Verse 5, by crediting, verse 6, the wicked with his righteousness. You heard this. The wicked with his righteousness. Clearly, we are not justified because, you know, we're good enough to be justified, that we've met, you know, right up to the line, and then just Jesus just kicks us over the line. No. In justification, God responds to our disobedience, giving us his righteousness. And it bears repeating, this credit is, is a legal position or status, because clearly, the credited righteousness that, that David had and that Abraham had was not their due. It wasn't because of their loving heart or their humble spirit or good and honest behavior. No way. God justifies the wicked. They were wicked. So to have righteousness credited, which is the only righteousness God accepts, means to be treated or regarded as if they actually were righteous, though in themselves they are still sinful. I'm going to say that again. To have your righteousness credited which is the only righteousness God accepts, means to be treated or regarded as if they were actually righteous, though in themselves they are still sinful. Loved ones, that is the gospel. Verse 7 and 8 explain that David the sinner, that our sins and justification are not counted against us. Which means although we still will sin, it does not affect our status before God. Why? Because we received the credited righteousness of God when we were still wicked. Because God, verse 5, God justifies the wicked. Now, if you look, verse 7, no wonder David chose the word blessed. The word there, blessed, is, it means a long and large advantage which brings happiness. So this word describes a person in a very fortunate position because they're receiving God's favor which literally extends or makes long and large his grace. That's a really complicated definition of blessedness. But what he's saying is this. There is no higher happiness that a person could, could receive this side of heaven, verse 7, than those whose transgressions, okay, those who've done what God forbids by simply doing what they thought was right in their own eyes, 
Those transgressions have been forgiven. Who sin, sins. Those who have not done what God said, whose sins will never count against them. They are covered. Blessedness, the highest happiness, belongs to this person. Meaning, in God's eyes, justification, injustification, our biggest problem and the root of all our other problems has been decisively solved by God himself. Now, do you believe that? Do you believe that? There is no blessedness if we do not have justification by faith, but if we do, there is the highest blessing this side of heaven. Now, I want you to think with me, because by and large, the most miserable person and dishonest to themselves person are those who try to relate to God through their works, that their works are their go-to with God. So they, they feel their best when they're working for God, running works through everything, family, marriage, relationships. Their works give them peace as long as you're working. And then when the work goes down, what happens to the peace? Let's be honest. That, would me, to me, would make for a moody and grumpy person or a delusional person ready to tell everyone, you know, how wrong they are as the Pharisees did. And you read through the Gospels, the Pharisees come across at some very unhappy people. Loved ones, what does the word gospel mean? <laughs> good news. What does good news do? Well, it's designed to, to remove the burdens, to give some joy, to make stable Christians deeply secure, deeply content, deeply at peace with God and others. Happiness. Blessedness. And you know, I know that some of you are thinking, well, God's not concerned with our happiness. He's concerned with our holiness. Okay, I'm with you. But he's concerned with both. <laughs> Tell me a greater joy this side of heaven than to know that God has forgiven every sin we have or will ever commit. Tell me. So, so what you need to do is you work out this doctrine of justification to its highest conclusion. God's righteousness is mine, is yours, Christian. All the benefits now, peace with God, no condemnation, the family of God, the promise of holiness, the promise that he's never going to get up on me and then extend it past our life, eternal life with God in heaven, paradise, beauty, peace, no sickness, sadness, death, no disease, no more addictions, no more sexual sins, no more verbal sins. No one will ever feel bad about themselves har harassed by other people, again, that is foundational to the blessing of justification by faith. Can your work produce that? No. Okay. A long time ago, I was a kid, believe it or not. And I had the privilege of growing up in the church. And some of you know this. We sang songs in our Bible classes. And one of the songs that came to mind this week was the song, Never, Ever, Ever. Have I ever, ever, ever been so happy, happy, happy with my Lord? Never, ever, ever have I ever, ever, ever been so happy, happy, happy with my Lord. Okay, why? He took away my sadness, and he filled my heart with gladness, and he gave me all that heaven could afford. Never, ever, ever have I ever, ever, ever been so happy, happy, happy with my Lord. And back then, we got donuts, too, and we got the donuts, and we were singing in the class. You know, we were so happy, so very happy, and it was just great. I just remember that. It was just beautiful. Then I got a little older, and then I heard the song, Oh, Happy Day. 
You know that song, Oh Happy Day? Oh Happy Day, why? When Jesus washed my sins away. And then I got a little older. The very first time I heard the song, In Christ Alone, I was walking by myself. It was not as unusual, but I was walking by myself on a trail, and I had, <laughs> you remember the big cassette? <laughs> anyway, dated here. You had the cassettes, and you had the, okay. And I, and I heard, Till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. And I swear to you, I leaped by myself. I leaped with joy. Who does that? God. So, are you happy? Are you happy? Do you have joy? Tie your happiness to any other thing than, than the gospel, than to Jesus, to the heart of it, the justification by faith, and you will not be happy. Not in any lasting way. I promise that. But if you do tie your relationship with God foundation through justification by faith, then remember Paul was singing in a jail. Paul was teaching out of a jail. Paul was being shipwrecked. Remember at the end of Acts, the storm? Everybody's freaking out. Paul's like, you need to go do that. You need to go do that. He's fine. He's fine. Why Abraham was saved, justification by faith. Why David was saved, justification by faith. Okay, why we must not stray. So just, just bear with me. So, so clearly justification by faith is God's original road. It's the only road. It's the only way that a person can rationally relate to God. And faith is crying out, I have nothing to save me. Only you can save me, God. That is what faith is in essence. Because a person, okay, they can believe in God. They can believe that God is loving, that God is holy, and they can even believe the Bible is God's word to some extent. Yet they can still be seeking their salvation by pointing to themselves, pointing to their works in some way as the basis for their assurance. So a long time ago, there was this book, Evangelism Explosion. And in it, the author said, when you go tell people the gospel, begin with this question. If you were to die tonight and go before God, and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? Okay, then he said, here's another version. Assuming for a moment that there really is a heaven, what do you think are the general requirements for admissions? Who gets in, who doesn't? And this is what the people said. The people that were Christians who would go out, and they would talk to to um, Church-going people, that was the phrase they used. This is what they heard. A large number of people say, A, okay, get to God's heaven because I've tried my best to be a good Christian. B, because I believe in him and I try to do his will. C, because I believe in him with all my heart. Now, again, that's, this is not a trick question, but it reveals a misconception about what it means to believe. So to say God will let me into his heaven because I have tried my best to be a good Christian, that is salvation by works. To say God will let me into his heaven because I believe in him and I try to do his will, salvation by faith plus works. And to say that God will let me into his heaven because I believe in him with all my heart is salvation by faith as a work. And in each case, the religious person has not stopped working, has not done that real initial transfer of trust. And in the last case, the person even has come to essentially say, I trust in my trust in Jesus. But all of that misses the goodness of God. You want to hear my answer? I do not deserve heaven. But God has shown me mercy. 
Jesus Christ has paid for all my sins by his suffering and death on the cross. I believe God. I believe in his son. Heaven is my home because of Christ alone. And I promise you, anything less than that will lead to insecurity, to anxiety, a lack of assurance. You'll all be back and forth. Do I have enough faith? Do I not have enough faith? Probably spiritual pride, touchiness to criticism. And when you have that moral lapse like Abraham did and David did and a whole lot of other people, it'll be devastating. Which is why to say that God justifies the wicked cuts against both the religious person who's trying their best and the irreligious person who really couldn't care less. And here's the thing. If you believe that your salvation is all on you, would you have the courage to stand before God and tell him you would like to pause from thanking him and thank yourself? So let's just put some shoes on this before we end. Ask yourself this question. What are the symptoms of a Christian or a church where justification is ignored, demoted, rejected, unapplied, and not relied on? You want me to know the answer? Look at your Bible. Verse 3. What does the Scripture say? What does the Bible say? Because you know what? This problem was in the Galatian church. This exact problem was in the Galatian church. Listen to the Bible. Okay, this is what Paul says. One. Their joy was lost. Galatians 4.15. What has happened to all your joy? Paul says that because when a Christian, like they were, relates to God through their works and not the finished work of Jesus, they become delusional, but they also become miserable. Now think with me. Our view of sin is selective at best and external. No wonder the church in Galatia was so miserable and lost their joy. Because they were trying to relate to God through what they were doing or not doing and not what Christ has done. That was not foundational. Run the numbers. If you do that, if you're going to base your relationship with God by good or bad that you do, here's your, here is Christian life. Jesus, two, this is striking, alienation from Christ as well. Paul writes, chapter 5, verse 4, you who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. That's crazy, but it's true. Some kind of external religious work, which is probably on one level good, but if used as a means to create or improve or rest in as the basis of your acceptance with God, it's a dead work. It will alienate you from Jesus Christ. Now think about that. Good deeds alienating you from Jesus because you're ignoring his victory at the cross. You're trying to be something that you're not. Finally, three. Okay, why do we demote justification? Well, Paul says it pretty easily, the avoidance of persecution because persecution is a fundamental part of authentic Christian ministry. Chapter 5, verse 11 of Galatians. Brothers, if I'm still preaching the old covenant, justification by works, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. You understand? If I'm still preaching works, then just work, 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 work. No. Then the cross and its offense would be removed. Okay, so here is some symptoms of justification being demoted, ignored, unaccepted. No joy, 
alienation from Christ and avoiding the scandal of the gospel. So you're not ashamed of your works, but you're kind of sort of ashamed of Jesus' work on the cross. Okay, Christians, would you just, would you just look at your Bible? Verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, verse 8. What does the Scripture say? Okay, and just look at me, which is very uncomfortable for me, but just look at me for a minute. If you're a Christian, you should go home and be happy. You should, you should stay in that blessed place. God doesn't count the sins of believers against them ever because he counted them against Christ once. That is the splendor of the gospel. And I close with this. Very early in the morning, this morning, I was listening to music, Christian music. And there's this beautiful song that I'm going to quote from you, to you. This is what it says. It's Jesus' friend of sinners. Right? He's a friend of sinners. So question, if Jesus is the friend of sinners... He's not the condemner of sinners. Not yet. Which one are we? Jesus, friend of sinners. Love me ere I knew him. Drew me with his cords of love. Tightly bound me to him. Round my heart still closely twine. The ties that, that none can sever. For I am his and he is mine. Forever and forever. If you're not a Christian and you heard this, what are you waiting for? There's nothing like this anywhere else. Let's pray. Father, thank you that foundationally the gospel is not about being good. It's about admitting that we are not and cannot be what we need to be. And in the doctrine of justification, we see your goodness and your kindness and the lavishness of your love that you justify wicked people like me. So, Father, please increase our faith in the great truth of the gospel. God, we ask for forgiveness, forgiveness of, of dead works. Direct our thoughts to you, the God of our salvation. Help us to hate our sin. And yet be mindful that it has been forgiven. It has been forgiven through the merciful work of Christ on the cross. Now to Him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before His glorious presence with great joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power before all ages now and forevermore. Amen.